Please remain standing, would you? We'll go to our Gospel reading um, right before the passage we studied earlier in Matthew 4. Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3? Matthew chapter 3 should be on page uh, right around 809 in your pew Bible. Remember last week, as you're turning there, last week John had said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but there's one coming after me who's mightier than I am, whose sandals, I just love John's humility, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Pick it up with me now in in verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Jesus came. Look at that. Uh, Matthew says here he's coming. The prophesied Messiah is coming. And then Matthew records, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now, John would have prevented him like any of us would have said, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, John, for thus it's fitting for us, us, to fulfill all righteousness. And though he didn't understand, John consented. Look at this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, that's that that, that word, remember that? Looky there, look at this. Don't miss this. Behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And there it is again. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The very Word of God. Please be seated. Oh my goodness. I was laughing with our um, team right before as we were praying that um, that my Bible becomes a um, filing cabinet for um, for everything that I'm doing during the week. And and I, I forget to dump it out before we get here. But um, we have this great invitation today to clear our minds, to clear our thoughts, to open ourselves to what God wants to do in and through us. And my great prayer is that he'll meet us as we come to him today. I want to I start um, with a question, if I could. I want to start with a question. Do you know whose you are? Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? Because it's really uh, easy, isn't it? In the midst of our crazy culture, in the midst of so many voices, including our own, speaking to us and, and, and crying out to us, it's so easy to become overwhelmed with other voices and to begin to believe them rather than to, be, to believe God's voice for us. I've shared with you before that, um, that um, I married into, in a sense, I married into uh, royalty. Um, I um, married uh, a Sancho. And you say, well, what, is, what does that mean? 
Um, well, I didn't know what it meant, you know. Uh, at first, I thought it was a pretty cool name. I kind of associated it with Sanchez, right? Uh, and, and it's a pretty common name in, in Mexico, but apparently Sancho is not such a common name, especially in Costa Rica. So when we went down to Costa Rica, um, I got to meet some of Karen's extended family, and, um, and, and they're just awesome people. A couple of, uh, I guess they would be aunts especially, just wrapped their arms around us. A couple of cousins uh, invited us into their homes, and, and we got to live as, as Sancho's. And, and, and it, was, it was pretty cool. I didn't think too much about it until we went out in public, and, and they would... Um, they would introduce us, and they would say, this is uh, Dave and Karen Mills, and people would go, okay. And they would say, and she's a Sancho. And it's like, like um, the Disney movie when you say Mufasa, right? <laughs> she's a Sancho. <laughs> right? And, and her, her uh, grandfather was um, uh, the poet of the revolution in, um, in, in Costa Rica. When they got independence, he was the one that wrote the hearts of the people during that time. There's libraries named after him down there. Her uh, great-great-grandfather was the president of Costa Rica. Just amazing, uh, amazing connections. And so, so that name meant something, right? Her name, mine, mine and 50 cents will get you a glass of water, right? But hers... A mean something. So I married well. That was not rocket science. You knew that a long time ago. Right? Um, but what about your name? Right? Who are you? I'm not talking now about your, your given last name. It may, may have some temporary importance in, in, this, in this world. But I'm, I'm talking about who you really are. That's really important. Isn't it? Again, every voice you hear is trying to tell you um, that you are not who God says you are. Uh, Your own voice and the voices of the world around us and especially the evil one, as we'll see in the weeks to come, is going to try and tell you who you are. I want to invite you to think deeply with me beforehand, to think deeply with me about your identity. To understand it, we're going to have to go back with, um, with the New Testament to this amazing sequence of events right before Christ's identity was tested. God made crystal clear who he was. And let me just show all my cards. I'm going to suggest to you that if you find your identity in Jesus Christ, then he lives in you and, and God looks at you and sees you as his own as well. But let's go back for, for a moment, right? For the first time we've, we've celebrated, for the first time in 400 years, there's a prophet in Israel. He even looks the part, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Uh, last week we heard the voice of Isaiah, that Isaiah had prophesied crying out in the place where God's word wasn't, in the wilderness, right? In the Mindabar, right? In the wilderness, the place where God's word wasn't, we heard this voice crying out, right? Repent. Repent. Turn from one thing to another, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And just a couple of days ago, last Wednesday, many of us were together and, 
And we saw that many people were repenting, but John took them a step further. He challenged them, bear fruit, he said, in keeping with repentance. For though John baptized with water for repentance, there was one coming who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And for us, that's good news, right? But uh, if you don't know Christ, that's really bad news, right? Because he baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that fire will consume everything that is not of God. And, and the question is, what will be left for us when that judgment comes? Well, how, do, how would they recognize this person who was to come? Like us, they had God's Word, right? They had the, the Pentateuch, the, the law. They had the Psalms and the wisdom, literature, Proverbs. They had the historical documents, but they also had the prophets. Those people who were charged with, with keeping the people focused on God and His purpose for them. And, and again, one of those prophets said, I'm going to show you exactly what He looks like. We saw in Isaiah 53 that He described His passion to a T, right? But, but Isaiah also spoke earlier in Isaiah 42, this is what my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, the one in whom my soul delights, looks like, right? Here's what he's going to do. And there's like, a, there's like a mission statement for all those who would call themselves followers of Jesus. There's a mission statement about how we can be effective in the world around us, caring for the brokenhearted, caring for the vulnerable. And, and the way that we can do that tenderly, he didn't, he didn't even bruise a reed, he didn't bend a reed, right? But then in that description in Isaiah 42, which you heard earlier, he said this powerful phrase, I have put my spirit upon him. We're going to see over and over again through both both this Lenten season as we study the temptations of Jesus, but then especially as we get to the passion of Christ and to the resurrection of Christ, that the role of the Spirit is powerful, is powerful. Well, Matthew doesn't want you to miss this, right? Right after he recounts that prophecy that John had been preaching for six months, that one would come after him who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit, Jesus shows up, right? Jesus shows up. We read it from Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And I wanted to, I wanted to just work with you today on that. Why is this so important? Why is baptism so important? What is baptism, right? And I, I have to tell you right up front, I'm not going to get involved in the controversies uh, with you. Just from Olivet's perspective, our idea is we're not going to die on the wrong hill. Does that make sense? Um, we're not going to stumble over um, something, an issue that divides the body of Christ. We're going to focus instead on God's Word and, and what unites it. And so I'm not going to try to argue with you about whether we should immerse people or whether we should um, sprinkle them. Uh, this is Dave clearly speaking. It doesn't matter. What matters is what's happening in your heart when it happens, right? We're not going to argue uh, about those things. We're not going to argue with you about believer versus infant baptism. Um, I, I respect so much 
both perspectives. I'm personally an infant baptism person. I, I just have been blessed to see families that, that um, their children never knew a day apart from the love of God. And they set them apart. But, but God is the one that's reading our hearts. Some people dedicate, some people baptism, baptize. We're not going to die on that hill. Let's understand what it is. Can we do that for a second? Let's understand what baptism is and then trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us when we try and put into practice what he says. Keep in mind for a second that baptism didn't begin with John the Baptist, right? It didn't begin with him. This probably a lot of us aren't familiar with this, but, but, but um, when a person became a Jew, there was three things that happened for them, right? There was three things. First of all, they made a sacrifice. They brought an offering. Uh, and, and the offerings uh, in, incorporated sin offerings. At the time before Christ, something had to be sacrificed, right? An animal, a life had to be given for a life. And they brought sin offerings. They brought fellowship offerings. They participated in the community of, of Judaism. But at some point when they were ready to move on when they were ready to go further, then, uh, then they made a commitment, a powerful commitment, to identify with the, this new faith, to identify with the Jewish community. And, and that identification was circumcision, the removal of part of a man's flesh so that if there was ever any doubt, right? If there was ever any doubt about your identity, that there would be proof one way or another. That, that um, practice of circumcision uh, worked for them in, in, in the positive sense, and it worked very much against them when, um, when they were being persecuted. And, and so God instituted this covenantal act of circumcision to identify, in a patriarchal culture, the men who would be a part of that community. But, but that wasn't the end of it. They also practice uh, a, a form of baptism. They had these um, these walk in these walk in. I'm going to call them baptistries. They called them mikvahs. And and uh, when you were at that point, when if you were a man, you had been circumcised. Uh, um, if you were a woman who had offered sacrifices and wanted to identify with the Jewish community then, and, and I didn't want to say this, um, and don't, we don't do this, so don't fear this, but they would completely uh, take off all their clothes. They would walk into the mikvah. They would uh, come out on the other side and put on new clothes. And there was this amazing act of, of leaving everything behind, leaving everything behind and identifying with this new community, right? So baptism wasn't a new concept in the New Testament. John didn't bring a new idea. The, the radical thing that John brought was that he asked people who were already a part of the community to be baptized as well for the forgiveness of sins, right? So he, what John did was saying, the Messiah is coming. And, and, and so um, I want you to prepare I want you to die to self again and, and open yourself up to what this Messiah will bring. And he invited the people of God and non-believers as well to join him in that. And as we saw last week, then Jerusalem and all Judea and 
And again, echoing Acts 1.9, And all the vicinity of the Jordan flocked to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, and they confessed their sins. Remember now, these are Jews, right? John wasn't trying to get them into Judaism. It was to get God's people to realize their brokenness and their sin and to turn back to God from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. So what is this thing called baptism then? I want to suggest to you that several things. It is the washing, the symbolic washing away of sin, right? It's the symbolic washing away of sin. But more than that, it's dying to self, right? Entering into the waters. Remember how the whole nation of Israel went through the Red Sea, right? And, and in the New Testament, we learned that was their, their corporate baptism, right? They went through the Red Sea, but they came out the other side, a new people. A completely different people, no longer slaves. I keep going back to the song, right? But children of God. So it is dying to self, but it's also rising. But rising to what, right? Rising to what? Well, Romans 6 goes into it much more in depth. That we'll save that for another time. But I want to suggest to you that it means rising to new life. To new life. In baptism, you become a new person. You become a new person. Paul would later say, the old has passed away. Right? One of my favorite passages. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Right? The old has passed away. The new has come. In baptism, you become a new person. You say, well, what about child baptism? How does it child become a new person. Remember that we're born with a sin nature. We are born with a sin nature. And if there's any doubt about that, all you have to do is watch the child grow up, right? They will sin. I share with you just visibly, I'm so conscious of that first time when I sin. It just hit me like a brick. There will come to that time when all other things being equal, that child will sin. And so even a child needs to become a new person. The sin nature has to be set aside, has to die, and the new life has to come. But I'm going to suggest to you, and then we're going to go back and see these things in Jesus' life, that it also means for you a new identity. Just like for the people of Israel, a God-fearer became... Uh, uh, one of God's people by going through the sacrifice, by going through the circumcision, by going through the, um, the mikvah, the baptism, they had a new identity. I'm going to suggest to you that they got a new name as well. A new name. And as we can see so clearly in the Old Testament, they got a new community as well. Where am I pulling all this from? Um, Let's look at Jesus' baptism for just a second. Can we do that? What happened when Jesus was baptized? Isn't Isn't this amazing? Isn't this beautiful? So remember, these are the people that had not heard a word from from God for 400 years. They'd not seen the miracles of God for 400 years. There's this guy dressed like a prophet, uh, eating locusts and saying crazy things in the wilderness. 
and their hearts are drawn, but they still don't know if this is just another crazy. They'd had many messianic figures who who drew people away from their faith rather than drew them to it. So there's this crazy guy saying all kinds of things that would be so hard to believe, right? But when Jesus came forward and John, in that amazing act of humility, consented to baptize Jesus, they saw the heavens torn open. I love it. Uh, The English always softens the original languages, but they were ripped open. The heavens were ripped open. So, So Jesus, and John later will say he did, and very possibly others as well, experienced something that they had never experienced before. The, the, the gap between heaven and earth was opened, right? It, they had a way first of, for the first time in their lives, of experiencing um, the very presence of God. The heavens were torn open. They saw the Spirit of God descending on Jesus, right? descending on him. And, and it adds like a dove, but it, it really is a simile. The dove, although you see in all the paintings, an actual dove, it was not, the, the word is fluttered. The Holy Spirit fluttered down on Jesus. And I, can, I can't tell you what that looked like, but we saw a very similar thing happen in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. They did, the words escaped the gospel writers as they tried to describe that. Words escaped Luke as he tried to describe the coming of the Holy Spirit is like tongues of fire, right? Dancing on them. He's just scraping for words to describe what's happening. Um, the, the Spirit of God fluttered down on Jesus. And God spoke. I mean, auditory. God spoke. I know he oftentimes speaks through the inner movement of his Spirit. And, and our hearts perceive something that we didn't hear, but... He, Make no mistake, he spoke right here. He spoke out loud. And and what he said was amazing. He said, this is my son. He would say that one more time at the Transfiguration, which ironically in the church calendar was two weeks ago before the baptism of Jesus. But in, in, um, in the Transfiguration, God said, this is my beloved son. Shut up and listen to him, right? Now, here, three years earlier, he's saying, he's saying, this is my son, right? And he's saying also, and I, I wanted to point this out to you. Um, my Bible, I think our ESV said, this is my beloved son, like beloved was an adjective. But it's not that way in, in the original language. It puts the article in front of it again. He says, this is my son, the beloved. The beloved, Right? So he not only is saying, this is my son, he's saying, this is the beloved, and he gives him a name. The beloved, right? The beloved, a new name, right? And then he said, this, this is the one in whom I delight. I delight in Jesus. So, so an incredible sequence of events that I want to suggest to you are God's invitation to us as well. What would God require of us? We've been encouraging you. We're going to be encouraging you in the um, days and weeks ahead to, to open God's Word, to trust that His Holy Spirit will lead you unto truth. And, and beloved, if we're going to, if we're going to um, 
take the gospel to every tribe and every tongue and every nation, we're going to have to do it differently. You are going to have, I'm speaking boldly and forgive me, but you are going to have to take the gospel to the world. And we've been inviting you to do that in a very simple way. We've been calling it Discovery Bible Studies. Just a series of seven questions. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I think they're still out there on the, on the table out there. A series of questions that help you sit down with someone and, and hear what God wants to say through His Word. And, and so the, the sweet invitation is to take this responsibility upon ourselves and, and to be carriers of the gospel to the people groups that God has already put us in contact with. And then through His divine direction to take it to others as well. But when we ask ourselves, what would God require of us before we ever go taking the gospel somewhere? We've got to ask ourselves, what do I need to do first? Before Jesus began this incredible three years of ministry, there was something that did not make sense. That the one without sin would be baptized by the sinful one. Um, Something that absolutely made no human sense would need to happen first. So I ask you to ask the Lord with me, what would you require of us, God? I want to take you just for a second to Acts 2. In a few weeks, we'll celebrate Pentecost together, the coming of the Holy Spirit to believers like us. But when, when Peter received that same Holy Spirit, he began to speak boldly about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He began to speak the very same message that John spoke, that Jesus spoke. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people heard. People listened. And they said to Peter, what is it we should do? Right? And he said the same message. He said, repent. Repent. Repent from your sin and to God. Turn from your sin and to God. Let me press pause again just for a second and and say I'm I'm not really conscious, Pastor Dave, of sin. That would be awesome. That would be awesome if, if uh, if your life is lived in complete openness to God. I do know this in my own life. I have such built-in defense mechanisms that I hide my own sin from myself. I've shared with you over the years some pretty spectacular examples of me hiding my sin from myself. Not intentionally. I, was, I buried it so deep, maybe because it was so painful that I, I didn't even remember it. And, and God in His grace, when, when, when you open your heart to Him, He didn't dump the truck on you. He doesn't show you everything you've ever done wrong. He, he just gently and, and subtly invites you to a deeper exploration of, of who you are and what you have done, what's been done to you. And, and God in His grace gradually reveals to us. So if you're in that place today, say, I, I'm, honestly, I can't think of anything. Praise God. Praise God, but just, just remember that prayer from Psalm 139 that I quote so many times. Search me, O God, right? And know my heart. Try me. Try me, God. Test me. That's going to come in big time next week. Test my heart. See if there's any hurtful way in me. Sins of commission or sins of omission. And lead me in the way of righteousness, God. And, 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 and listen, First Holy Spirit. If you don't hear anything, 
rejoice and go and serve Jesus. If you do hear something, then, then just gently bring it before Him. Confess it. Agree with God that that is sin and, and turn from that sin to God. But there's a second part here that's really important. Be baptized. Be baptized. Die to yourself. Now, um, many of you have been baptized, and for many of us it's been, it's, I was not baptized as an infant, but I was baptized as maybe a 13-year-old. Do the math. That was a long time ago, right? That was a long time ago. I'm so grateful that, that um, God gives me a way as often as I wish gives me a way to revisit that experience is through the Lord's table, right? Where I remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for me and, and I share in that sweet fellowship with him. I confess my sin again. We do that on a regular basis, probably 18 times a year here. We did it just last week. We shared that sacrament, that holy moment of the Lord's Supper. But, but remember what baptism is. It is the death to self. I just tried to list some of the ways that I'm broken. All of them began with self, right? One of our beloved brothers, his wife is in a nursing home now, so she's not able to worship with us any longer. But, but he would always look at me when I got too self-centered, and, and he, would, he would look me in the eyes, and he would say, your eyes are too close together. And, and I, would, I would think, what? You know, I would think about my eyes, and then I would, oh, Gene... You're doing it again. You got me again, right? He was saying, I say I way too much. My eyes are too close together. Um, I, God invites us to die to self, to put that aside. And again, the symbolism of baptism is so beautiful for that. I choose to no longer live. How did Paul put it in Galatians 2.20? I've been crucified, right, with Christ, and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. So what would God require of us to repent, to seek God's forgiveness, to be baptized, to die to self, but then to rise to new life. It doesn't end when you die to self, right? He invites you to rise to new life. And I've taken these in a bunch of different orders, but, but let me just remember what they are. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. When the people said, what should we do to Peter? Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you might receive the Holy Spirit, right? There's a possibility... No, he said, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So live into that gift. Oh, can you quench the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. I'm a professional at it, right? I'm a professional at it. You can quench the Holy Spirit easily. But the cool thing about the Holy Spirit is that you can always go back to God and say, God, I, I leak. I've got gaping holes in my life. And... and and I just invite you, God, refill me. Refill me with your Holy Spirit. But when he does, walk in that Spirit. 
We'll explore that so much more in depth in the days and weeks to come. But walk in that Spirit. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Walk in the direction that the Spirit goes. God, should I go here? Should I turn there? You can ask Him those things. He said, are you nuts? Are you nuts? Are you, are you saying God's going to lead me in that way? I'm saying, yes, He will. Now, if you're like me, that years and years of ignoring those directions makes it sometimes hard to hear. But as you practice listening and following the leading of the Holy Spirit, just a word of caution, the Holy Spirit will never lead you in something contrary to His Word. So you don't have to fear, but you do have to risk following the Holy Spirit. And, and because you're placed in a community, other people will walk with you. I've had several times people said, the Holy Spirit told me this. And I, and I said, are you sure? Are you sure? And later they would realize, no, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was my own voice. Um, the Word of God and the community of the King will always draw you back. Our problem isn't that we're uh, blindly following the Holy Spirit. Our problem is that we're not listening enough to the Holy Spirit. And so every day we pass by God moments, Kairos moments, that God has set apart for us to be a part of his purposes, and we miss them because we won't risk trusting in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, but walk in the Holy Spirit as well and receive your new name. Are you getting weird on me, Pastor David? It's actually interesting that our baptism traditions, note this, right? That oftentimes in baptism, someone was given a Christian name, right? They were given a different name. That, that tradition comes right out of Judaism. When someone entered into, a proselyte entered into the Jewish community, they were given a new Hebrew name. And I can name about six names that most of them were given. Um, all the patriarchs and the women of faith in, in the Old Testament, they were given a new name. What, what am I saying that you are given a new name? Well, I'm pushing this for a second, but follow with me. I've called you your new name several times already today. Did you hear it? Anybody got it? Yeah. Is that Donna? Yeah. Yeah. It, God said to Jesus, this is my son, the beloved. When you trust in Christ, Christ's spirit is in you. I'm, I'm pushing this, and you test it against God's word, but I believe with all my heart it to be true. That God sees you through his son, and he says, You are my beloved child. Now, the reason I'm stumbling a little bit is because Revelation says that you will receive another name when Jesus comes again. Right now, this is your name. Beloved. That'd be pretty cool. Hey, beloved, how you doing? Right? Um, loved, beloved of us, but, but especially beloved of God. Right? You receive a new name. But, but as I've already alluded to, you receive not just a new name, but a whole new identity. You're no longer... Red wristband, I just put a bunch more out there if you want one. You're no longer a slave to sin or to fear. Right? Help me. I am... A child of God. You receive a new identity. You are a child of God. Live into that identity. 
You're no longer a divorced person. You're a child of God. You're no longer a sinner. You're no longer a thief. You're no longer an adulterer. Or you're no longer a boyer. You're no longer any of those things. You were. You were those things. But now you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Now you've been cleansed. Now you have a new identity. You are a child of God. And don't let anybody, me or anyone else, don't let yourself tell you any different. I am His precious child. Right? I am His precious child. What would God require of you? I know there's another blank. We'll get to it. What would God require of you? More than anything, He wants to walk with you. As the old hymn put it, to talk with you, to tell you you are His own. God would invite you to a living, breathing relationship as His precious child. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. God, I always stumbled over wondering why he who was sinless would be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But I know now that's because he was identifying himself with me. God, thank you that you invite me to identify now with Jesus. God, I pray for those who who, um, long ago identified with Jesus, but like me have become slaves again to fear, have become slaves again to our brokenness and sin. Thank you that Jesus has broken that bondage. Help us to come to you, God, to receive your forgiveness, Mm -hmm. to be filled again with your spirit, and then to take up your mantle, Jesus, to, to be your presence in a world that so desperately needs to hear good news. God, to make disciples who will make disciples. God, more than anything, to live into the identity that we already own, to live as your children, children of God. God, I pray that it would be true.